Welcome to Meet the Actors at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Please welcome our guest moderator, news editor of Empire Magazine, Chris Hewitt. Hey everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, now You See Me is a very fun and very twisty thriller about a group of magicians who pull off a series of heists. Or do they? Yes, they do. Or do they? Uh, but yeah, no, they're pretty sure they do. Uh, but before we meet the stars of the film, let's take a look at the trailer. Or is it? It is. Let's take a look. Come in close. Because the more you think you see, easier it'll be to fool you. Ladies and gentlemen, for our final trick, we are going to rob a bank. On the count of three, you will be teleported through space and time to your bank in Paris. One, two, three. Everyone in this room was a victim of hard times. Some of you lost your homes, your cars, and so tonight, we're going to return some of that money back to you. Thank you, everyone. We are the Four Horsemen. Good Your bank was the distraction while they set up the real trick. I was a $140 million distraction. Who doesn't love a good magic trick? FBI! Hands where I can see them. I don't think I heard you correctly. Did you say magicians robbed the bank? You are going to be played. You have what we in the business like to call nothing up your sleeve. Because if you did, it means that you and the FBI and your friends at Interpol actually believe in magic. First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. One, two, three, and... You want to know how they did it? Say the magic word. A year ago, these guys were a bunch of street magicians. Now they're pulling off amazing robberies and not keeping a single cent for themselves. You do realize this is a game played out on a global scale. Vegas was just the start. This trick was designed a long time ago. We are dealing with something far bigger than us. We're all here for the same reason. We cannot quit now. Expose them now and destroy them. Whatever is about to follow, whatever this grand trick is, is really going to amaze. Look closely, because the closer you think you are, the less you'll actually see. Please welcome the stars and now you see me, Isla Fisher and Jesse Eisenberg. Good to see you. Hi. Jesse? Hi. Good to see you, sir. Hi. Welcome. Um, so, guys, how would you describe Now You See Me to someone who maybe hasn't just seen the trailer or hasn't, <laughs> have, hasn't As everyone just yeah. did. They just have, but you know, pretend they haven't. I mean, it's a, it's a heist movie. It's an action thriller. It's a little Ocean's Eleven meets the prestige with the uh, <laughs> illusion being the, uh, the crime that we're committing, these illusions. Mm -hmm. And, Jesse, you were first... On board, weren't you, as a as an actor? Yeah. For this movie, how did yeah. uh, the director's Louis Leterrier? How did he get you on board? What was his pitch to you? Um, he actually uh, gave me these obscure French movies. He's French, and he said he wants to, the acting in this movie to be like these movies. And mm -hmm. I was skeptical because when I read the script, it seemed like this kind of very you know plot driven, big, broad in scope movie, and. Um, 
Uh, he said, I want to get great actors to do this, and I want it, the acting to be treated in the way that the acting was treated in these obscure French movies. And, um, and Jared Depardieu was not available. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was in Belgium, not paying taxes. And so... Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, and he followed through on both of those things. He followed through in getting an amazing group of people. Uh, um, and he also followed through on treating the actors uh, with respect. You know, on, mm. you know, on a movie like this, the acting can get lost because the plot is so interesting and yeah. the acting, uh, you know, could be seen as secondary, but that just wasn't the case here. We were given uh, a lot of time to, to try different things. He did the most amazing thing, which I've never seen done on a movie, which is film one actor film the other actor doing the same you know, conversation and then learn something from that second actor and then go back oh, really? to, re to redo what the first actor has done based on what the second actor has done. Things like that just never happen, especially on an independent movie that is, you know, would be considered more of a character-driven movie. You just don't see yeah. that because there's no time. Isla, is that the first time that it happened for you as well? Um, yeah, absolutely. And just how comfortable he was with us improvising and coming up with different ideas. And, you know, the way he shot the movie, the camera was moving at all times. It was sometimes on a wire. It was sometimes on a crane. But it was always transient. And so um, it was, it was, you know, it was a kind of liberating experience because we got so many takes due to the fact that he was moving the camera around <laughs> right. that we got to try a million different things. And, okay. uh, and we got very comfortable being on stage at the end, despite us both not being naturally um, that comfortable being on stage. Oh, really? Did, you, did it take a while to get over that? Because there's, there's uh, parts of the movie where you actually are on stage in front of how many people? A thousand people? Two thousand people? Something yeah, like half that? of those people yeah. were just uh, inflated torsos. torsos. Yeah, okay. half of them yeah. were stuffed dummies. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but still, there's some people there. There were some extras yeah, peppered some amongst people, yeah. the torsos. Yeah, I mean, Isla and I play like these like very confident magicians and I think both of us have like a little you know stage fright in general so but I don't know I think at least for me and I think Isla too they were like um, you know we just something switched on in us and you know it, when you get into a character that's really confident performing on stage it just you know you trick yourself into feeling that mm -hmm. confidence and then you feel it for real yeah did, did you want uh, to take tips from real magicians in preparation for this I know David Copperfield was involved uh, I believe a guy called David Kwong is that, is that correct Jesse yeah David Kwong he was like yeah. the magic consultant on this movie and our yeah. magic teacher and he was great and available to us for like a month before the movie 24 hours a day and uh also kind of um, was instrumental in coming up with some of the illusions that are in the movie. Mm. And, and also David yeah. Copperfield, I think it was his idea, the bubble trick, which I know you guys haven't seen the movie yet, but there's a phenomenal um, magic trick that is uh, one of the few magic tricks that's actually CGI as opposed to uh, a trick you can do. But the technology is being developed and it will mm. be a magic trick that will be able to be done soon. Mm. Um, but that was definitely Dave, uh, David Copperfield's, uh, came from his imagination. And I studied uh, a, a lady magician, American magician called Dorothy Dietrich who mm. was one of the first, was the first American uh, lady magician to catch a bullet between her teeth. Right. Something I did not practice at home before we <laughs> shot the movie. Despite probably a lot of people wanting me to. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so let's talk about your characters. You play Henley. I play Henley. She's yeah. an escapologist. So, uh, yeah. you know, her role in The Four Horsemen is to, um, you know, get them out of tricky situations. And as you can see in the, uh, in the trailer or the teaser sh that you just showed, um, I'm in a tank at one point, um, chained underwater, which, of course, is not a dream come true for any actress. Um, <laughs> and I actually ran out of oxygen when we were shooting that. My train got stuck and I thought I was going to die in a swimming suit, bloated behind glass. Um, so that was pretty awful. Yikes. Did you have a signal to people to let them know that you were running out of air? No, I didn't have no, a signal. Banging? Okay. <laughs> no, that's, what, that's how it went wrong. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> so how come you're still with us, thankfully? <laughs> um, I doggy paddled down to the bottom and set myself free. Uh, but uh, yeah, 
So in the end, it all turned out. I didn't know I could have a stunt person until the very end of the shoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, again, uh, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, Jesse, you were probably in less danger as a J. Daniel Atlas book. Right, book. I, I'm a sleight of hand, but just yeah. so the biggest danger is like a paper cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you suffer you many got paper a lot cuts? Of Which I got several. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes, in weird places. Who is Atlas? Oh, Atlas is like the greatest sleight of hand magician in the world. He's like uh, the kind of guy that at five years old realized he didn't want to have a normal life, so he just stayed in his bedroom and practiced magic. And now he has like, you know, kind of developed the attitude of somebody who thinks they're the best at something. So he's a great magician and, um, you know, I guess a uh, bit of an arrogant guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, did it take a long time to research and do the magic tricks? I know you're probably not ready to be admitted to the magic circle <laughs> after a few months of research, but can you do tricks? Can you do? I that could sort of definitely do a, a party, a kids' party of five and under. Okay. And I feel like Jesse could right. do ten and under. Maybe well, ten five and years under. and under, or five kids and under. Sorry, uh, five years and under. Very important. To yeah. Anyone that. older than that will see through my. Uh, <laughs> right, a discerning crowd would know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Jesse, you're ten and under. That's interesting. Yeah, he's got some yeah. skills. You're I could fast. do. Uh, I could do a 15-second magic show with all the magic that I know. <laughs> yeah. But it would be impressive. Those 15 seconds right. would be magic. Really fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have a clip from the movie now. Isla, I'm afraid this is the um, the clip in which you nearly drowned. Oh. So uh, enjoy. Yeah, enjoy my peril and fear <laughs> my near demise mm, roll a clip Woo! okay los angeles when that timer hits zero a tank full of piranhas will fall from above a lady has to have handcuffs I mean, when I was in that tank, I just kept thinking, why would Tom Cruise agree to do his own stunts? <laughs> <laughs> and that guy with the axe, what was he doing? Exactly, he was like smashing into glass and it yeah, just Yeah, he was actually a great, yeah. a great actor, that guy. He okay. was really good. The yeah. piranhas aren't real, although they did try to get real piranhas, didn't they? Is that what you said? Yeah. Absolutely not. I'm not doing that. No, they no, got real piranhas. They got real they piranhas. They actually had them. They backstage. ordered a tank of piranhas from Brazil. But they were undersized. They were okay. undersized piranhas, so and they had so to put computer-generated piranhas. Yeah, they CGI'd yeah. the piranhas in the end, thankfully. Okay. Otherwise, I would have had piranha bites adding to my <laughs> yeah. worst ever experience. And all you would have had is just still the paper cuts in the weird places. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 which yeah. looked like piranha bites. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was Henley's introduction in the movie. Yes. Uh, and there's a lovely montage at the beginning in which we meet all the members of the Four Horsemen. Then the film jumps forward a year later, uh, and the four horsemen have come together right. and are now a group. Um, and Jesse, being first on the movie, you got to see the other actors come on. It's a fantastic cast. It's Woody Harrelson, Dave Franco, Mark Ruffalo, people like that. Um, but I believe you were actually instrumental in Woody Harrelson signing on. Is that, is that true? You gave him the script. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've known Woody Harrelson for a while, and we wanted to like do something together, and this presented a great opportunity um, because it meant we would get to work together, but in a different dynamic from the previous movie that we had done. So, mm. you know, it's fun to work with the same people, but it's less fun to work with them in the exact same dynamic. Mm. So in this movie, we play kind of like uh, rival magicians who feel competitive with each other because we both feel like we're the best in our respected respective field. Mm-hmm. I'm a sleight of hand guy and he's like a mentalist. Mm-hmm. So it gave us an opportunity to work together again and he's, 
you know, he's really funny and works very hard and like comes up with like a million variations of a joke and tries all of them out. And he's the just two of them are so talented and funny together. It's like watching Laurel and Hardy or something. They just they <laughs> they're perfect. They just they we would sometimes just watch and laugh when they would riff. It was very uh, they're very. Talented. You mentioned before lots of improvisation, um, but this is a very plot driven script. So how much freedom did you have to improvise? Clearly, you couldn't touch anything that changes the plot, but. Did Louis give you the freedom to, to play with the lines and, and play with what your characters did? Yeah, I mean, we, we worked out, you know, before shooting, we worked out what parts of the script were malleable and what parts weren't. So, you know, there were a lot of scenes that, um, that what we did, like, within the kind of small meat of it wouldn't affect the plot in any kind of substantive way. So within that, we would be able to improvise and, um, you know, kind of come up with a very complicated backstory. Like for our characters, we had a very kind of complicated history mm -hmm. where she was my assistant and she had a crush on me and then she became very successful and then I felt threatened by her success. Um, and uh, we were able to improvise within that kind of very complicated framework of this, mm -hmm. you know, Because plot. we didn't want to step on the fact the horsemen are this mysterious, kind of elusive, enigmatic group that are, we don't know if they're, mo you know, they're morally ambiguous. And so we, 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 we didn't want to add too much character, but we wanted to add mm. enough spice that you got some uh, comedy in there too. So do you work a lot on backstory? For example, is Henley and Atlas, are they the characters' real names or are they there for a bit of show, a bit um, of artifice? Both of them, my, uh, Henley is not Henley's real name either, okay. it's her last name. Oh, okay, interesting. And uh, Atlas? Yeah, yeah, he's Jewish. That's his last name. <laughs> no, no. no, no. They changed it to Ellis Island. Um, <laughs> uh, no, he's also created this persona. You know, he's like... Uh, no, he's created a magic persona like, yeah. like David Copperfield, which okay. is a, a Dickens novel. It's a movie, as we mentioned, it's very twisty, very turny. Uh, I imagine you, you have to see this movie two or three times to catch every single at least, plot at least two nuance. Or five you or recommend six. five or six, maybe yeah. ten compulsory, ten compulsory. On the same opening day, if you can. Um, <laughs> was it the same when you were reading the script? When you get to the, you know, the end and the twists reveal themselves, do you have to go back and reread it just to make sure that everything makes sense? Or, or I, I was a little confused even during the shooting um, <laughs> occasionally as to how we were able to pull off some of the, you know, because our characters, the horsemen, we're robbing banks and then we're giving the money back to the audience, but we're doing it through these illusions and sometimes I was, uh, I, I was a little behind the... I yeah, it's the kind <laughs> of movie that, like, when you're reading, you have to read slowly, but when you're watching, it, it makes sense because, you know, it's a yeah. visual kind of movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not like, um, you know, a dialogue-driven movie or something where it's very easy to read and will appear in a similar way. You know, it's a very visual movie. The director is a, you know, a really visual uh, director who would shoot scenes, like, from multiple angles so that in the editing room he could choose how much to reveal and how much to hide because uh, there's all these twists in the movies so mm -hmm. he shot it in multiple ways to have the opportunity in the editing room to be able to kind of uh, you know reveal only what he wanted to. Mm. I spoke to Louis a couple of months ago as well and he said that he, he went back and did a couple of reshoots just to make sure that things were smoothed out plot wise. Did you go back for those yourself? Yeah, they or? rewrote the whole ending. Uh -huh. um, okay. Yeah, while really we were shooting. Ending, yeah. So it was no wonder that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they rewrote everything. I mean, that's not atypical though of a movie yeah. like this where there's so many l little plot details you end yeah. up reshooting them. That yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. They ended up also not, they ended up not using 90% of what we reshot or something yeah. like that. So, okay. uh, you know, they, uh, you know, it was the kind of thing, like in a movie like this, you want to make sure it's perfectly clear and constantly interesting. And, you know, for a movie like this with a complicated plot, sometimes you, you know, re shoot scenes that don't wind up in the movie. 
And, and how much did other things change? I read an interview with Mark Ruffalo, for example, where he says that uh, the uh, the four horsemen initially were less altruistic. You were, you were kind of Robin Hoods in this movie, mm-hmm. but initially in the in the first draft, you were robbing essentially for yourselves. Mm-hmm. And then the movie changed, oh. and it becomes a more of a sort of ninety nine percent pro ninety nine percent movie. Um, did that change? And how much input did you have into any plot changes? That well, we that actually happened? did have some input. I remember, you know, I felt uncomfortable sometimes. You know, they, it was a little on the nose. The writing about, for example, they had a whole bit where we were giving money. Back back to people in New Orleans whose homes were missing. and But they were saying specifically that it was Hurricane Katrina, and it just felt... It felt sanctimonious because it's a fictional movie and we're not actually giving money back, so it seemed odd to reference a real disaster there. Um, But I think, you know, uh, when we were shooting this movie and we we filmed it in New Orleans, which has been ravaged by several different disasters, uh, and um, we would be raining like fake money on these people and saying this is you know we are giving this to you because you've lost your homes and you oh. could see even though they knew it was fake and we we know it's fake there was mm. still a real intense kind of like anger there and um and joy in receiving the money yeah, yeah. and everything so you realize how um how real those feelings are do you get a sense filming there as well that the that the city's beginning to get back on its feet was that something that you felt yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Part of yeah. that is due to the movies. There were like 15 movies shooting, shooting there. there. Yeah, yeah. They're all yeah. out now. So any movie you go to in the theaters right now is shot in looks New exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, let's take a look now at another clip. This is the first time the four horsemen rob a bank. It's a very tricksy sequence. Look out for French Robert Downey Jr. Uh, let's have a look. Tonight, we are going to rob a bank. Can you please come up to the stage? And now for one tiny detail. On the count of three, you will be teleported through space and time to your bank in Paris. One, two, three. Wait, there he is. Etienne, what do you see in there? Money. Looks like three million or so euros worth. On the side of your helmet, you should feel a button. Now that button activates an air duct that connects Paris to to Las Vegas. All right, now Etienne, hold on tight. talk about filming that scene, I mean, in terms of the stagecraft and the and being taught by real magicians uh, to get over this stage fight that you were talking about, <laughs> how did that exactly work? I guess you don't see the shots in, in the edit that you just saw, but mm. um, the scene was filmed primarily like um, with a camera m- on a cable, and it was like circling the stage and going through us. The first shot, I think, in the scene is like like a several minute long shot, which sounds short, but is long in a movie. Yeah. And um, like tracks all around us and we're performing and then it ends up on a close up of Morgan Freeman who's sitting in the audience, right? Yeah, um, Morgan Freeman, yep. <laughs> yeah, it is Morgan Freeman. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, so it was like complicated to shoot these scenes, but also fun because you get to like perform uh, like a full length show, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as opposed to kind of just shooting it piecemeal. Um, and it's exciting because at mm. one point the money that you see there is not CGI. It rained down on us from the ceiling in huge amounts, um, which was just phenomenal. I mean, the scale of this movie, uh, you know, even though we, you know, we didn't make it for that much money, is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very slick outfit, the Four Horsemen. They're, they're a very slick team. Yeah. Uh, how much time did you guys have together to practice and, and become that slick team? I know you're not, obviously not doing real shows, but... We filmed these, um, the shows that we perform in the movie, we filmed them over the course of like weeks. It took so long to mm-hmm. sh- film these shows that um, 
you know, we had, we, uh, you know, I guess in a way like practiced um, on camera almost because um, mm -hmm. there were so many different angles. So by the time, you know, like by the time we were doing it fully, uh, we felt like we had done it for days. Okay. Actors can get quite competitive, I've heard. So who's best at magic between the four of you? Uh, you know, Dave Franco's Dave amazing. Franco. He, could yeah. he can cut a banana in half with a card. He could make you a fruit salad right now. <laughs> really? I mean, he could he could throw a card, and you know, you could be holding a banana, and the, he chops could it in half. Banana. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, he had the dexterity very quickly. Jesse's brilliant too, and so was uh, uh, Woody Harrelson. He was actually um, he kept you know reading everyone's minds. He's a mentalist in the movie, and so. At the beginning, it was super annoying because he's, <laughs> hey, Isla, think of a number between one and ten. I'd be like, Woody, Woody, please, no more. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and actually, Mark Ruffalo got him really well for Practical Joke. He pretended that Woody believed he'd hypnotized Mark into thinking that everything was the color blue. And I guess Mark <laughs> was just pretending. So we had a few jokes. I would say I was the weakest magician of them all yeah. um, just because... <laughs> I, I don't have the stamina to continue trying something. Like, yeah. I tried with the ping pong balls, I tried with the cards, and then I got super frustrated. Oh, no. And I uh, gave up. Uh, do you, you but I did learn to hold my breath for two and a half, three minutes for the tank stuff. So that was my... Uh, I worked on that for months and months. So, yeah. yeah. So have you kept it up? Uh, yeah, holding the, my breath. Yeah. I'm doing it right now. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Timer. Uh, Jesse, have you kept it up? Um, I learned some tricks that, like, I retain the muscle memory uh, but no, I mean, like after the movie ended, I went and did something else. It's the kind of strange part of this job is that you immerse yourself in something so specific for a concentrated period of time and then leave and do something else that doesn't involve that weird skill that you developed <laughs> and never have a chance <laughs> to do it again. So until the sequel. Until the sequel, <laughs> until please, the God. Sequel. Absolutely. What's the fascination with magic? Because I'm sure most people here would love to see magicians all the time. But, you know, but what is it about magic for um, you guys? I, I just think we live in a very uncertain, you know, crazy world. So to believe in something, you know, and override force that could equalize things is a very alluring concept spiritually. Mm. Yeah. And Jesse? I mean, it's like Santa Claus, but it's like for adults, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it's like you, you want to believe in something not real, and it's fun to believe in that. You know, it's interesting, like I, when I was practicing magic on set, I would perform for the crew, and uh, after I would do a trick, I would inevitably tell them how I did it, because I felt too strange keeping the secret from them, and I realized very quickly that people wanted to be uh, deceived, you know, that there's something yeah, fun yeah. and not knowing about it. Yeah. So I stopped telling people. Yeah, okay. it's nice to have, a, you know, a mystery in life, to have mm. something that you, you can't solve that feels greater than you. It's, it's a nice notion. Yeah. That's Absolutely. why we have calculus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really is. Less We've magical and more. Yeah. <laughs> We've uh, one more clip from the film. This is where we meet uh, Mark Ruffalo's character, who's an FBI agent investigating the Four Horsemen. Let's take a look. So I warn you. I can maintain my resolve much longer than you can maintain that phony arrogance. And the instant that you even show the slightest crack in that smug facade, I'll be there. I will be all over you like... Like white on rice? Sorry, that's unfair. Let me warn you. I want you to follow. Because no matter what you think you might know, we will always be one step, three steps, seven steps ahead of you. And just when you think you're catching up, that's when we'll be right behind you. And at no time will you be anywhere other than exactly where I want you to be. So come close. Get get all over me, because the closer you think you are, the less you'll actually see. I'm going to nail you head. First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room.
Jesse, is that your, your motto through life? Always be the smartest guy in the room? It's so weird. I had it tattooed on my body like five years ago. <laughs> I read the script and it literally, unrelated, said that in the script. Yeah. Serendipity. Yeah. Uh, let's take some questions from you guys now for uh, Isla and Jesse. If you've got your hands up, you got a couple of rovy microphones going around. Uh, there we go. There's a lady right here in the uh, second row. What was the biggest lesson that you both learned from this movie? As actors or as people? Either. <laughs> Um, I, I'm a fraidy cat in real life, so I'm nervous about everything. And so for me, I think I've learned to be, um, you know, braver, I'd like to think, you know. I think that's the part of Henley that I wanted to have rub off on me, so maybe it's wishful thinking, but... Um, I guess I learned that, like, um, to be really great at anything requires, like, amazing discipline. Uh, like, the magicians who worked on this movie, um, you know, told me about how they uh, have you know, practice their skills and it's like the kind of thing they practice for decades, eight hours a day, every day of their lives. And so it's like any other thing, you know, if you want to get really good at it, you have to practice it 10, so many times. 10,000 hours or something, right? right? Oh, wow. Gee, yeah. And it's not just the knowledge of knowing how a trick is done. It's like the practicing of it every day, the ritualistic nature of working on it that makes you really great at it. Okay, there's a gentleman over here, I believe. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, this question is to Jesse. Uh, in most of your movies, you speak very fast in your, you know, your dialogues. <laughs> Why is it that? Mm -hmm. Why is it so? <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. Why do you speak so fast? <laughs> um, I don't know. I have a, like a short attention span, so when I watch a movie, I don't know. I like it to be over as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a gentleman here right at the very, very back. If you can put your hand up, so they there we go. Thank you. You said uh, you learned a few magic tricks that might impress 10-year-olds. Um, I don't see any 10-year-olds here, but I'd still quite like to see a trick if you're willing to perform one. Oh, uh, we didn't bring our car. Did you bring yours? I actually brought a tank, Isla. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> I imagine you don't walk around with cards on you just in case, do you? Never. No, no never. There you go. Sorry, we should like have that. done that. That's a great idea. Imagine that they did it and it blew your mind. Uh, yeah. There's uh, someone over here with the hand up. Thank you. Asla, is it difficult to maintain, uh, no, to speak English like an American, like not British? Oh, well, I'm actually Australian, um, and there's not many uh, jobs for Australians. So um, I think just from a young age, most Australians were really indoctrinated with American culture. We watch, you know, we grew up on the Brady Bunch and the Cosby Show. And so I think most um, Australians by like age eight can do a flawless American accent. <laughs> Do you start to break it down, though, then, into regions and suburbs and Yeah, yeah, and you districts? have to. When you get a gig, like, I just worked on The Great Gatsby, and obviously it's in the 1920s, and she's from Queens, and so, you know, every single job, you have a different accent. Okay. Uh, yes, please, uh, gentleman here, and then we'll go across and to you. And then she was, too. Uh, I have a question for Jesse, and uh, because you've done a lot of mo uh, films, uh, so I want to ask uh, which actors you, you want to work together again. Oh, well, you know, we had a really good time, like, with this movie, and it's the kind of movie that could, like, lend itself to a sequel because there are all these, like, mythic elements in the movie. Like, we are on a team of magicians called the Four Horsemen, and then there's this, like, secret magic organization called the Eye, and so there's all these things that are absurd in the real world but make sense in the movie, <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that, like, could be, like, a sequel, so that would be great, and everybody in the movie was really wonderful. It would be great to, you know, work with them again. Oh. Has there been talk of that so far? Because the movie's just about to hit 100 million in the States. That's usually sequel yeah, territory. Yeah, they, they, uh, they have 
spoken about it. Bobby <laughs> did, at least, the one of the producers. He said... Okay. Um, he said it's just going to focus mainly on my character. Yeah. It's going to be a real tour de force for Henley. Yeah. I'm going to be in a tank in the entire movie. And then you're like an extra. You're just going to pop up. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to talk real slow just to appease this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go with this gentleman here no, in the uh, front row. And then Sorry. all the way back. Uh, oh, over here? Are yeah, we over here? Okay, I've lost track. Anarchy. Hi. Okay. So what upcoming projects do you two, each of you have in the future planned? You're an American? Where are you from? I'm from Ohio, oh, studying abroad. You're a real here. American. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, so I have projects. a movie with Jennifer Aniston uh, and Tim Robbins. It's an untitled Elmer Leonard. Uh, is I don't know what it's you know based on the guy that wrote The Big Lebowski. I mean, he wrote The Big Lebowski and he wrote Jackie Brown and he wrote this uh, next project that I've already shot. So that's coming out. Um, and I just did a play in New York and I'm about to like do, gearing up to do it again. But he wrote the play mm, and right. he's absolutely a brilliant playwright. He got amazing reviews and yeah. Oh, thanks. He Absolutely. writes really fast. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jesse, you've got uh, a film with Richard Ayoade coming out called The Double, oh. yeah, which yeah. is interesting because Michael Caine, who you co-starred with in this movie, yeah. is executive producer yeah. oh. on that movie. There was like a production meeting when everybody went around the room saying what they do. Uh, you know, he said, I am Jim, I do props. And I got to Michael Caine and he said, Michael Caine, executive producer, in his accent, which I don't want to do. You know, um, yeah, he's the executive producer of the movie. I think it was maybe his first producing job or yeah. something. I don't know. Um, yeah. What was he like as a producer? Hands off. <laughs> no, 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 he's great. I mean, you know, he was on set a little bit and he, gave, he, he was actually incredibly... Um, I don't, what is the word? Uh, involved um, for a producer. He yeah. watched every all the dailies, which is like all the footage you shoot. Uh, you know, it's very rare that a producer would watch every take and he watched yeah. every take and wow. gave notes on every take. Um, yeah, because I think maybe because it was his first producing yeah. uh, job, he like was really involved. Um, and uh, yeah, very sweet. But I mean, hands off in terms of uh, kind of like asking the director to do something to appease him. Uh, yeah. The director is this incredible guy, uh, Richard Ayuwadi. He made yeah. a Submarine. He's an English guy. And um, uh, you know, he's a real auteur, so you know, no one who worked on as a producer on the movie uh, manipulated him. In any okay, well, wow, first time producer at the age of 81, that's not bad <laughs> at all. Uh, yes, please, here in the uh, front row, and then we'll go all the way back to the last row. Thank you. Hi, guys, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I guess my question, Jesse, I know you mentioned before you're not particularly keen on revisiting characters, um, but you've been having a lot of fun with Woody on this film. Yeah. Uh, Zombieland, of course, they've recently tried to sort of revamp that as a TV show. But right, right, right. Do you think you'd have any interest in a sequel for that? And also, yeah, we wanted to do... Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also for us, uh, I think uh, a lot of Arrested Development fans would love to know when and if we're going to see a resolution to your careful juggling of Michael Sarah and Jason Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget that I also made out with uh, Will Arnett's character too. Who didn't you make out with on that? That's they cool. did not tell me when I took the gig exactly <laughs> how much whoring my character would do. Um, it was probably understood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> um, yeah, we wanted to do a sequel to Zombieland and then they instead made it a TV series. And then somebody told me the TV series was cancelled, so maybe it will be happen, happen again. Although it seems like, you know, you wouldn't want to do a sequel after a series. That, that movie was originally written as a TV series, so it made sense that they wanted to turn it into a TV show, but uh, they should have made a sequel, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's such a good movie. And any word on Arrested Development, season five, or the movie, or...? Um, I, you know, Netflix don't reveal, I guess, um, 
they, they won't reveal the numbers of how many people watch it. Uh, allegedly, it was a huge success. That's what it's reported to be. So I imagine, and when we shot it all, Mitch was saying, this is what we're going to do in the movie. This is how your character is going to be resolved, which obviously I can't reveal. But yeah, I would love to finish. I would love to make the movie of that. I had such a great time on that show. There are still members of the Bluth family that you haven't kissed yet. So Not many, not many. <laughs> dwindling number. Uh, the very last question is going to come from this lady here in the very back row. Uh, I saw it last week. It's very good. Um, I was just wondering what Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine were like to work on set uh, with so many young actors around. That's all. Really, like, very, like, comedically humble almost. Like, Mike, we were joking around with Michael Caine about his night, knighthood status. Yeah. And then he was making fun of himself. Very, very sweet. And Morgan Freeman, too, who's not a knight, but, you know, is whatever the American <laughs> version is. Um, and, uh, yeah, very, like, almost like annoyingly humble like you'd almost want them to be you know like uh you know a uh, arrogant or something so that you can have the full experience of being with somebody that amazing um but very sweet yeah i concur <laughs> and on that note <laughs> that's a good point in which to end uh thanks so much for coming uh thanks, thanks for your questions thanks, thanks most of all to thank isla you. fisher and jesse eisenberg thank you